Today on the Matt Wall Show, the media celebrated this weekend as multiple women suited up to play against men in college football. In one case, a tiny blonde woman was put on the field to play defense. Have we finally reached the point where girl power is going to get women killed? Yes, we have. Also, another GOP debate. We'll talk about the best moments and the worst moments, but mostly just the worst moments. In our daily cancellation, a school district in Minnesota showed its staff a video comparing white people to blood-sucking, disease-infested insects, all in the name of equity, of course. We'll talk about all that and more today on the Matt Wall Show. Are you a few years or maybe even decades out of school and wondering what the heck did I even learn and what was the point? You might think to yourself that uh, you don't have time to learn something new, and if that's you, then know this, you're not alone and it's not too late. Since 1844, Hillsdale College has been providing education in faith, freedom, and character. They've taken some of the core classes they teach on campus and they've made them available for free online for anyone who wants to learn. That's right, it is free. There are 39 free courses to choose from, ranging from the U.S. Constitution, the Book of Genesis, to uh, free market economics. They're easy to follow, and they're self-paced, so you can start whenever you want. In fact, you can start right now. It's everything that you need all in one place with no long-term commitment. Let Hillsdale College be your guide. Learn when and where you want. You can't lose. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash Walsh to enroll. There's no cost. Easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash Walsh to register. hillsdale.edu slash Walsh. One of the many joys of watching sports these days is that you get warmed over, ham-handed leftist politics thrown in your face all the time. And it is a great joy. The NFL has printed the words end racism in the end zone for several years now, for example. It apparently hasn't worked yet because the message is still there. Uh, or, or maybe racism is solved and they just forgot to remove it. I don't know. In any event, the NFL isn't alone. The U.S. Open just plastered equal pay propaganda all over the court. Major League Baseball even had BLM stenciled on the mound for a while there. And so on. And it's so pervasive and so on the nose that it's enough to make you give up on professional sports entirely. On Saturdays, you might find yourself taking a hard look at, say, third-rate Division III college football games instead. You might think, surely all the social engineering won't be on display there at that level, right? How much of this insanity could have possibly filtered down into a game that no one's watching? Like the matchup between, I don't know, uh, say, Shenandoah University and uh, Juniata College from last weekend. If you've ever found yourself you know, thinking along those lines, unfortunately, though, we have some bad news. Even the D-list football games, including the game between Shenandoah and that other school that I can't pronounce, have become yet another opportunity for corporate media to tell you that uh, 2 plus 2 equals 7. They are more grist for the leftist ideology mill that has its tentacles everywhere now. So here's the Today Show to explain the significance of Shenandoah's recent highly anticipated game that only five people watched. Watch. We're back 738 with some inspiring history that was made in college football over this weekend. Yeah, for the first time ever, a woman played in an NCAA game at a position that was not kicker. Her name is Haley Van Voorhis, and we cannot wait to talk to her. But first, NBC's Kaylee Hartung has her amazing story. Kaylee, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. So after more than two years on her college football team without seeing any game action, Haley told me she felt like she was in a movie when she stepped on the field Saturday inspiring history was made, an amazing story. Now, it's important to stop the clip there to note a couple things. First of all, 
Uh, they got the, the facts wrong. Um, not that anyone's keeping track, but Haley Van Voris was not, in fact, the first female non-kicker or punter to play in an NCAA game. That honor went to cornerback Taylor Kraut, who played a game for uh, Fitchburg State earlier this year. Nobody remembers that because Kraut managed to make one, quote, assisted tackle before leaving the game. But as long as facts matter, which they clearly don't because the point of this segment is to advance a fraudulent narrative anyway, uh, still, we'll just throw that out there. More to the point, there's another unanswered question, which is this. How does NBC News know that Haley was, in fact, the first female playing in a non-kicking role in a game? It, it, pretending that she actually was that, which she wasn't. But if a, if a female is anyone who thinks they're a female, and that's the standard we have to accept or else we're transphobes, then how do we know that dozens of other brave females aren't playing college football right now? How do we know that uh, women haven't already been in, inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Has anyone checked with Dick Budkiss or Ray Lewis to see if they still identify as men? When the left talks about homosexuality in contexts like this, they usually use the term openly gay. So they'll say that so-and-so was the first openly homosexual person to play football or whatever. But in this case, they're not using that terminology. They're not talking about openly female or openly woman uh, players here. They're not saying that, you know, Haley is the first openly female non-kicking player. They're just flat out declaring that she is the first female player and the first woman. I mean, it's almost as if the left knows that those words have meaning and, and every now and then they accidentally admit it. I don't know. But back to this history-making game. So let's, uh, let's take another look at, at why everyone is pretending to celebrate what Haley did. Here's the sum total of her contribution to that game. Watch. The five foot six safety came into the game with Division Three Shenandoah up 26 points against Juniata College, registering a quarterback hurry on the way to a Shenandoah win. Did that quarterback know what or who hit him? I've had some people come up to after the game until I take my helmet off. They're like, dude, I didn't know you were even a girl. So, um, first of all, I'm pretty sure they do know. And notice that she doesn't answer the question there. Did the quarterback know what or who had hit him? And her response is, well, I've had people come up to me and tell me they didn't know I was a girl. So this is just speculation, of course, but maybe she's dodging the question because the quarterback knew exactly what had happened there. And maybe he, he uh, let her know about it. I mean, this woman just ran at him totally unblocked. And then for some reason decided to cling on to him long after he threw the ball to his receiver. And eventually after a couple of seconds, she drags him to the turf, almost like it's happening in slow motion. Now, in any other context, if you don't know anything about football, what well, you saw in that play there, uh, that is a roughing the passer penalty worth 15 yards. And it's so clear that if it was a man making that same play, a ref who for some reason was standing in the end zone 80 yards away would throw that flag. There would be flags falling out of the sky everywhere if in a situation like that where the, the receiver's already caught the ball and is in the process of being tackled and you are still trying to tackle the quarterback. That's 15 yards and maybe an ejection from the game, potentially. But that didn't happen to this, uh, this woman because none of the refs wanted to interrupt the girl power moment here, and uh, neither did anyone else watching it. So everybody just pretended that they had seen something really impressive. And here's how the Washington Post described the footage that you just saw. Quote, she got through and managed to hit Juniata quarterback Calvin German an instant after he had released the ball on what became an incomplete pass. An instant, they say. Really several seconds. What's the difference, really? I mean, in football, the difference is quite a lot. And they say she managed to get through by simply running straight at the guy unblocked. 
Now, for his part, sports journalist Dove Kleiman said that this was a groundbreaking moment in college football history. He said, quote, Haley Van Voris entered the game during the first quarter, immediately leaving her mark with a QB hurry on a crucial third down play. And to be clear, again, if you're not familiar with football, just so you know, her team was up 26 to nothing at the time of this crucial third down play in the first quarter. They ultimately won the game 48 to 7. There are no crucial plays in a game that ends 48 to 7, especially not in the first quarter. But who's counting? In fact, there wouldn't have even been a camera crew from ESPN watching this game at all if they didn't think that this gender angle might come into play. But she was put in the game as ESPN expected. And so now we're all supposed to imagine that this was really a momentous movie-like moment. So here, here's how the Today Show uh, played up Haley's tackle. Not a QB rush, but a tackle. In their words, watch. To me, it was a it was just a big moment to be able to crush my own goals and then make a statement for just the football community and, you know, show that women can play the game at whatever level that may be. So here's where they start to lay the propaganda on a little too thick and they introduce an idea that isn't just stupid, it's it's dangerous. Saying, quote, women can play the game at whatever level. The NBC anchorwoman agrees and says that uh, later that Haley is overcoming stereotypes that are, you know, held by, I guess, a bunch of troglodytes who don't, quote, think women can play at this level. Now, before I get into the implications of that, which could very soon lead to a lot of dead women on football fields, it's important to understand the scope of the problem here. This is not a one-off incident. College football teams are increasingly promoting the idea that women and men can play at the same level and can be on the field in a violent combat sport together. Also last weekend, a woman named uh, Leilani Armenta was handling kickoff or, uh, kickoff duties for Jackson State. And there were a couple of injuries, so the coaches put her in. And this is for their matchup against the powerhouse players for Bethune-Cookman. And here's how her kickoff went. Watch this. And here's the story of the day right there. That is Leilani Armenta. And she's going to play and she's going to kick off and maybe even do some field goals tonight for the Jackson State Tigers. Of course, she was on the Jackson State women's soccer team. And because of injuries this week during practice, she's going to get her shot tonight to be a kicker. And what an impressive young lady has been and a chance for her. And I'm sure she's pretty nervous at this point. But they have her out there and sweat football is underway. Oh, Lord. Uh, first of all, if you, if you turn on a, a, a football game and you hear, this is the story of the day right here. And when they say that you're looking at the, uh, at the kicker doing a kickoff and that already tells you, even if it's a man that tells you this is a very boring game. If the story of the day is the guy doing kickoffs, uh, and if it's the woman doing kickoff, then it's even worse. So the ball goes 25 yards, which is, and I'm not, I'm not just trying to make fun of her. It's the kind of kicking that you see on a bad high school JV team. Like it, it's that level. In fact, it's worse than that. Um, now, a lot of people went on social media to suggest that maybe it was a bad idea to have a woman attempt this kickoff because it, uh, you know, it's kind of an obvious point to make. And, and also, by the way, that is dangerous too. It's not like this is a non-contact position necessarily on a kickoff, especially if you're really bad at doing kickoffs. Um, you know, there, there's a pretty good chance that the other team's going to have a return, and then you're going to be in a position where you've got, you know, a six foot six. 200 plus pound uh, guy running with a full head of steam right at you as the kicker. 
But again, sports journalists, maybe the dumbest and least original form of journalist on the planet, which is really saying something, jumped into action. So here's how one local reporter named Bradley Davis responded to all the haters online who had an issue with that objectively terrible kickoff. Watch. All right, now before we go, we need to talk about what happened last night after Leilani Armenta took the field for Jackson State as the first woman to play in a D1 HBCU football game. Now, just like any time a woman does anything in a male-dominated sport, the social media warriors, they made sure we all knew that there was a man who could have done it better, and it was just a publicity stunt to take advantage of when the other kickers got hurt. Now, now, first of all, if you think T.C. Taylor, a true son of Jackson State, who's waited years to get this opportunity, wouldn't run out the player he thought gave his team the best chance to win in his first ever home game as head coach, man, you really haven't been paying attention. Now, maybe it's just harder to do than you think it is. And maybe you didn't take care to look beyond the surface. Leilani played three years of varsity football in high school. She made 98 out of 105 extra point attempts in her career. She also suited up when Coach Taylor called despite recovery from ACL surgery. Maybe you chose to ignore that brace she had on her kicking leg. So next time you get mad watching a woman play football because they could have found a man to do it better, Go out and kick 105 extra points. Let me know how many of those you make. Yeah, of course. Uh, oh, no, they just put her on the field because she had given the best possible chance to win. A woman with a brace on her kicking leg was the best person available. There was no one. We know that's not true. You can just pick any guy on the team. Pick a lineman and just put him out there to kick the ball, and he would at least do uh, as well as that, but probably better. And by the way, they had to go to the girls' soccer team to find a kicker. They, do they not have a guy's soccer team? Now, this is not to pick on Bradley Davis. He's obviously a smug guy out there saying what he has to say if he ever wants to advance in the industry of sports journalism. This was his ESPN audition tape. But it's worth knowing that he's presenting, uh, noting that he's presenting an embarrassingly, embarrassingly bad argument that's typical on the left. First of all, there's no reason for Bradley Davis to be talking about this woman's extra point attempts in high school. She wasn't kicking extra points in the clip we just showed you. She was attempting a kickoff, which requires a lot more leg strength than an extra point to pull off. And she completely failed, and she humiliated herself in the process of attempting that kickoff. It's a pretty significant fact that Bradley Davis somehow forgot to mention, but let's just ignore that for a second. The thrust of this smug reporter's argument is that, first of all, people are only criticizing her terrible kickoff because she's a woman. But if you've spent even five seconds around any football fan anywhere— you know that they will viciously criticize any player who screws up that badly. A male kicker who only manages to send the ball 25 yards will certainly be mocked ruthlessly for it. So if you want women to be treated like men, accepted into the boys club and all that, then it means that they will also be ruthlessly criticized for their failures because that's what it means to be treated like a man. That's how we men operate. That's how we treat each other. If you screw up, we're going to tell you, and we're not going to be nice about it. So if you really want to be, I'm part of the boys club. Okay, well, this is what it means. You do a kickoff like that, and we are going to mock you endlessly. Now, the reporter also says that unless you can kick extra points as well as this woman, then you should shut up. You're not allowed to have any kind of opinion on this topic whatsoever. What's impressive about this line of argument is, is, is what a massive, absurd straw man it is. Because no one is saying that any random guy off the street could necessarily beat this woman in an impromptu extra point competition, only because she's been kicking extra points for years, and most people have never even tried to kick an extra point. Uh, the point is that the best women football players at all positions are nowhere near as good as the best male football players at that position, or even the, the 10th best male football player, or the 50th best. Okay? Like, you take a woman at any football position, at any level, 
and you will easily find the best woman, the best woman at any football position at any level, you will easily find 50, 100, you'd find 500 male football players better than the best one at that position for a woman. And even that is probably underselling it. Now, we know that because there has never been a female player, this woman most certainly included, who can outperform men at a high level of play in a sport like this. We also know it because biology is real and men have dramatically more upper and lower body strength than women. This is why literally every time they trot out a woman to substitute for a male player in football, it's a catastrophe. You may remember Sarah Fuller. She, was, she made history as a female college football kicker a few years ago. She kicked it something like 30 yards, so a little bit longer than this other woman. And the media lied after the fact to claim that it was a planned squib kick, even though it was a situation on the field where no team would ever intentionally squib the ball. Now, in case you've forgotten about that historic kick, it's worth revisiting, including the buildup beforehand, because it's truly a modern classic. Uh, watch. We are about to witness history in college football. Vanderbilt Commodores coming back onto the field. They will kick off to start the second half, and Sarah Fuller will kick off for Vanderbilt to become the very first woman to compete in the Southeastern Conference in a football game and a Power Five football game. And there she is wearing number 32, her soccer jersey number, and just six days ago was winning an SEC soccer tournament championship in Orange Beach, Alabama. And wouldn't you know it, history is on the field in Columbia, Missouri, as Sarah Fuller is about to put her right foot into a football, speaking volumes to women around the world. Awesome, awesome moment. You can hear the crowd. Everybody understands what's happening right now. This is a pretty cool moment. And the kick down at the 35-yard line, and Sarah Fuller. Happy Thanksgiving. What a day. What a day in college football. What a day. Now, notice how the crowd is really excited and loud, and then they see the kick, and they just go silent. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to respond. Meanwhile, the announcers continue to read their prepared lines like they just witnessed the moon landing. What a day in college football, they declare, after witnessing the worst kick anyone would see until the next time a woman kicked the ball. It's impossible not to notice just how patronizing all this is, by the way. Jackie Robinson is remembered and celebrated not just because he broke the color line, but because he was a truly great player. So when we talk about Jackie Robinson, we're not saying, wow, look at that black player trying his best. Isn't it cute? No, he actually earned the respect that he gets for his play. He's one of the all-time greats. But as the media desperately tries to find their female Jackie Robinson, it never works like this. The girls are laughably awful, and everyone can tell they don't deserve to be on the field. It turns out that unlike the color line, the gender line exists for a very legitimate reason. Now, Sarah Fuller's historically awful kick was only a few years ago. Now we've already gotten to the point where a college football team actually put a five-foot-six-inch blonde chick on the field to play defense. Okay, when the Sarah Fuller thing happened, people like me said that this is where it was headed, and everyone assumed we were joking. A couple years later, they're actually doing it. Now, fortunately for her, the other team didn't pull a guard over to make a block with a head of steam, knocking her in next week. When women are on the field, the players so far have been playing along and kind of letting her have a Rudy moment, but it's not going to stay like that forever. Eventually, one of these guys will treat one of these girls like a football player, 
And it's quite possible that we'll see a death on the field because of it. And then what's going to happen is the male player will be demonized and have to live with the trauma the rest of his life when really it's the fault of the school and the media that valued girl power over the safety of the players. This will happen. Okay, even in this modern woke era, the football field is still a place where very big and fast men violently clash. You keep throwing women into that mix, it, it won't be long before something very bad happens. Which is why in a sane society, women would be banned from competing against men in violent sports like this. And in the past, you know, no such rule was necessary because nobody was crazy enough to actually put a woman on the field. Now people are that crazy, and so we need policies that reflect that reality. But nationally, of course, everyone is ignoring the reality. Colleges and corporate media are insisting with a straight face that women should be playing football with men. And if you ask any questions about this, sports reporters will lecture you and call you a bigot. This was always the inevitable result of the theatrical game of make-believe that we're all supposed to take part in. The underlying message, as always, is that men and women are exactly the same, no difference, but everyone knows that isn't true. And one thing we've learned time and time again is that eventually, one way or another, reality always reasserts itself, especially on the football field. And when it does, you're not going to like the result. Now let's get to our five headlines. I'd like to give a shout out to all those people whose job it is to hire from the small business owners growing their team to the HR directors hiring hundreds across the nation. You have one of the toughest jobs there is. With ZipRecruiter, you can make your whole hiring process faster and easier. ZipRecruiter's powerful technology works for you to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. ZipRecruiter saves you time by letting you easily invite your top candidates to apply to your job so they're more likely to apply sooner. ZipRecruiter is trusted by millions of people. In fact, over 3.8 million businesses have come to ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Hiring heroes, let ZipRecruiter help make your job easier. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Go to ZipRecruiter.com Walsh to try ZipRecruiter for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com W-A-L-S-H. Okay, the GOP debate was last night. Um, I didn't watch the whole thing. I can't imagine why anybody would watch the whole thing these days. I mean, you can always go and find the important parts after the fact. Um, so there's no reason to endure the whole uncut, unedited charade. Uh, and you all know how I feel about debates. I, I hate them. I hate the way they're conducted these days, at least. Um, I, I think, in theory, presidential debates and, president and, uh, and uh, primary debates could be great, could be quite informative and, and interesting and edifying. But they aren't because they're conducted in a way that is like specifically designed to make them useless and pointless. And really, really, they're conducted uh, to give the moderators opportunities to show off. You know, the way debates are done now, it's really, it's not even about the candidates. It's about the moderators because every debate is hosted by a cable news uh, channel or, or a network news channel. And all they want to do is promote themselves. That's all they care about. And that was definitely on display last night. So uh, who won the debate? Well, uh, DeSantis performed well, definitely a solid B-plus performance. The question is whether DeSantis, you know, for him, whether anything outside of an A-plus is effectively an F at this point because he needs big moments. You know, not just solid moments, but he needs big, big moments to, to close the gap. Um, but either way, it was, it was, a, it was a good performance. Uh, Nikki Haley, there are some people that are saying that she performed well. I, I thought she was annoying. Um, and half of the people on the stage shouldn't have been there to begin with. 
If you're going to have Doug Burgum on the stage, you might as well have me. I, I have a significantly better chance of becoming president than Doug Burgum. Um, but the problem is that these, these debates are really just forums, of course, for talking, uh, talking points that we've already heard a million times. And for these kind of rehearsed punchlines, these things that are, it's never, it's never in the moment, it's never spontaneous. We're not seeing anybody's wit and intelligence put on display. Because that would be something. I mean, just because somebody has wit and intelligence doesn't mean that they necessarily deserve to be president. But it's an important quality for a president to have. Um, and if, so if we could actually see that put on display, that would, that would be something. But we're not seeing that. They, they go in with certain lines that their you know, team has given them and their consultants and everything. They say, oh, you got to get this line in there. This polls really well. And then they deliver it. And it's always incredibly clear. They can never even make it sound natural. You can always tell. Like you can tell even before the line, like whatever clever line that they, have, they were fed by their consultants and they were told this will go viral. This will be a good one. You always, before they even get to the line, you know that it's coming because they're kind of, they're winding up. There's this wind up before they get to the line. And um, Chris Christie uh, is kind of notorious for this. And uh, here is his big line that he wanted to go viral, going after Donald Trump. Let's watch that. And Donald Trump should be here to answer for that, but he's not. And I want to look at that camera right now and tell you, Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. I know you're watching, okay? And you're not here tonight, not because of polls and not because of your indictments. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on the stage and defending your record. You're ducking these things. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You keep doing that, no one up here is going to call you Donald Trump anymore. We're going to call you Donald Duck. All right. I want to ask Do the governor to say He's so impressed with himself after he says that. We're going to call you Donald Duck. You hear that? You guys hear that? You guys catch that? Donald Duck? Because he's ducking. And, he's, and his name's Donald. You know, yeah, like the cartoon character. Donald Duck, you know that guy? That's who I'm saying this guy's like. Uh, he really thought Donald Duck was going to land. And it, it wasn't just him. I mean, we can't just blame him. These are politicians. They don't have any thoughts in their head. They have no original thoughts at all. They don't think anything. They have nothing. They have no brain at all. So they, they're, they're just given. So they had someone came up with this. And that person didn't come up with it either. Actually, that person didn't come up with it. They probably saw it on, on Twitter or something. They saw a meme calling Donald Trump Donald Duck. And they said, that's a good one. We got we to gotta give that. And this is what he came up with. And, I mean, it, it, it's, it's not going to work anyway. Like, first of all, this is the classic mistake that, that many um, failed opponents of Donald Trump have made over the years where they try to do the nickname thing that Trump does. But it never works. It never works to try to out-Trump Trump. Trump. I, I, you know, you'd think everyone would at least understand that by now. You can't out-Trump Trump. And there are things that Trump can get away with uh, that other people can't. And one of them is like the corny nickname. All of Trump's nicknames for other people, they're always corny. They're corny as hell. But he, he makes it work because it's just a Donald Trump thing. He can do that. It's not going to work for you. You can't do that. So if you are going to throw the nickname in, don't make it the whole punchline. Like, throw it in at the beginning and then have something else. And maybe you make it work there. So maybe if he had said, listen, Donald Duck, let me tell you something. And then he had gone on to say something else. You know, maybe it kind of works. 
But when, he, when you set it up, and everything is leading to that moment. And he's, he's, even, he's set it up as a threat. He's like, if you don't do it as I say, here's what's going to happen to you. I'll tell you what's going to happen. Get ready for this. Something real bad's going to happen to you. Here it is. I'm going to call you Donald Duck. That's not the setup. There's too much setup for a line that is not strong enough to hold that kind of weight. Um, but at least that line was better than this from Nikki Haley, who had a little uh, comeback for uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Let's watch that. This is infuriating because TikTok is one of the most dangerous social media apps yes, that we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say. Hmm. Because I can't believe you know, they hear that you've got a TikTok situation. What they're doing is these 150 million people are on TikTok. <laughs> that means they can get your contacts, they can get your financial information, they can get your emails, they can Let get just say, text messages, they can get all of this these is important. things. This is China very important for exactly our party. What they're this doing. is very important and what for our party, and I'm going to say you've it. gone and you've we helped China build, make medicines will, in China, not America. Me, you me. now wanting kids to go and get on the social media that's dangerous for all of us. You went and you were in business with the Chinese that gave Hunter Biden five million dollars. We can't trust you. We so can't me, trust you. We can't have something. TikTok and I think that we, this is very important. Mr. Ramaswamy, you have 15 seconds. I think. Excuse me. You have 15 seconds, Mr. Ramaswamy. Thank you. I think we would be better served as a Republican Party if we're not sitting here hurling personal insults and actually have a legitimate debate about policy. Okay, uh, so every time I hear you, I feel dumber. And the first problem is that that insult could really go either way. So are you saying he's so much smarter than you that you feel dumb? Like, do you mean you feel dumb in the way that I feel dumb when I listen to someone explain quantum physics? Because you could read it that way. And, and I, I think that Ramaswamy missed an opportunity for some kind of comeback like that. I mean, of course, he goes, to, yeah, I mean, the safest thing is to go with, let's put the personal attacks aside. But anyway, it's personal attacks. So let's not, that's the safest move. You know, it's, it's fine. Um, but he could have gone the other way and say, look, I'm sorry that you feel dumb. Uh, have you tried reading a book? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way. Could have gone that way. Um, but but either way, this is just uh, from from uh, Haley. It's a it's a cliched, childish line. It's a kind of line that was clever on the internet in the year two thousand eight, which ironically is the last election where a Nikki Haley candidacy would have been viable. Which come to think of it, he, I mean, Ramaswamy could have also said that would have been a good line. Um, as for DeSantis, I thought his best moment was this one. It's a it's a small moment. Um, but his best moment came at the moderator's worst moment. And now the setup for this que- this question that we'll play for you, or, or it's not even a question. The setup for this activity that they give uh, the candidates is good. The setup is good because the setup is that there are too many people in the primary. There are too many people in the field. So why are you all there? That's a valid question. Like when you've got someone who's still in the primary and, and they, and, you know, and if the vote was today, uh, they would get 0.01% of the vote or whatever. It's totally valid to say, why are you here? What are you doing? You're not going to win. Stop. Doug Burgum, you're not, stop. Oh, anyone could win. No, not anyone can win. You're not going to win. We all know you're not going to win. Okay? You're just, you're not. It's not going to happen. So it's a valid question. Like, what are you actually doing? You're, you're obviously not going to win. So what are you at? Why are you here? Why don't you drop out? And and if you, if you especially in a primary like this, because if you're a candidate, and if you think that Trump 
is the right nominee, if you think he's a good candidate, then why don't you drop out and rally around him? Or if you think that he's a terrible candidate, then why don't you drop out and rally around the only guy who has even the slightest chance of beating him, which would be DeSantis? So it's a good question, but they turned it in to a game show instead. And here's how that went. None of you have indicated that you're dropping out. So which one of you on stage tonight should be voted off the island? <laughs> Please use your marker to write your choice on the notepad in front of you. 15 <laughs> seconds starting now. Of the people on the stage, who serious? should be I'm absolutely serious. That, with all due respect, wow. I mean, we're here. Like, well, you know, we're happy to debate, but I think that that's disrespectful to my fellow competitors. Nobody wants, yeah. to, nobody wants to participate. Let's do some questions. Let's talk about the future of the country. Now, the great thing is uh, that's the right answer from DeSantis. And the great thing is you see, if you watch that clip again, you can see a couple of the guys. Chris Christie was about to do it. So he was told, write your answer like a child. Write your answer, draw, write an answer and draw a little picture. Draw, draw a picture of who you think should be on the stage. And Chris Christie's like, he's grabbing the pen. He's got it. He's about, he's sitting down. He's about to write an answer down. And then DeSantis says, we're not doing that. That's stupid. And then you can see Chris Christie put the pen down and say, that's dumb. We're not doing that. I wasn't going to do it anyway. I wasn't even writing that. I was writing something else. I was just I was writing a note to myself. About it just happened. It's got nothing to do with what's happening here. Um, so that's good for him to say. It's decisive, serious. And, and you know what? Because he's the best part is he's smacking down our ridiculous media. And that is when he's at his best. It's a great moment. It's a total embarrassment for Fox. The whole thing was embarrassing for Fox. Fox embarrasses itself every single day. It's a, it's a, it's a joke of an organization completely. Um, but this in particular. And, you know, the thing is, a lot of people complain that Fox, they, they said that Fox botched the debate because they were, they were letting the candidates argue too much and it was getting out of control. But the problem, as always, was the opposite of that. The problem, as always, with the, I, will, I will never complain. If I watch the debate, I will never complain about hearing from the moderators too infrequently. Okay, I'm never going to say that I want to hear from the moderators more. If the moderators never said a damn word, if they just, that would at least be better than this. If they just said, okay, uh, you guys are all run for president. Tell us why you should be president. You have two hours. And then they sat there and it's like, whatever happens, that would be better than what we do now. So the, the, the real problem is that they injected themselves too much. And for an example of that, I want you to watch this moment uh, with uh, Ramaswamy. Watch. 7 million students in over 18,000 public schools nationwide have the ability to change their identity without parental notification. Governor Christie told Stewart last week that he would pass a federal law to protect parental rights. Would you try to do the same? I have to be very clear about this. Transgenderism, especially in kids, is a mental health disorder. We have to acknowledge the truth of that for what it is. I met two young women early in this campaign. on parental rights in school. Parents have the right to know. And you know what the hypocrisy of this is? Even New Hampshire failed to actually get past a piece of legislation here. The very people who say that this increases the risk of suicide are also the ones saying that parents don't have the right to know about that increased risk of suicide. And I'm sorry, it is not 
compassionate to affirm a kid's confusion. That is not compassion, that is cruelty. I met two young women, Chloe and Katie, early in this campaign, who are in their 20s, now regret getting double mastectomies and a hysterectomy. One of them will never have children. And the fact that we allowed that to happen in this country is barbaric. So I will ban genital mutilation or chemical okay, castration under the age of 18. And parents in, in, have absolutely the right. Would you try right. to pass a federal law that says parents, parents should have that right? We are going to require yes. states absolutely okay. have to then follow that through. We stand to for parental rights. Yes. You okay, what are you doing? Like, shut up and let him finish his thought, for God's sake. He's, this is the, he's not dodging the question. This is the opposite of dodging the question. This is actually giving you more. He's, he's going, so if you're afraid of the transgender question, which plenty of candidates on that stage would be and are, um, uh, you're not, you're not going to answer. And the first thing you're, you're saying isn't going to be transgenderism is a mental health disorder. Um, that's what you say if you're not, if you're actually trying to say more about the question. And um, he's trying to say something important here. And he's, it's not dancing around the issue. He's in the middle of trying to call for a federal ban on child gender transitions. And that's something where you would think you let him talk and let him finish. And then that's an interesting point of view for a president to have, right? I mean, that's that's a big policy uh, promise. So let him say that. Shut up for a second. Let him say what he's saying. He's running for president. You're not. We don't care about your opinion. We care about his. Um, and then once he said that, then you could go to everyone else on the stage and, and let them uh, weigh in on that particular topic, which, which is more which is more important, by the way. The parental rights thing, it's important. But if that's all you're talking about, it's a dodge. If that when it, when it comes to the trans discussion and gender transitions, if all you want to talk about is parental rights, that is a dodge. You are dodging the real issue because it's not parental rights, obviously important, but it's it's. Even if parents consent to it, is it okay to do this to a kid? That's the real fundamental question. Is it okay to do this to a kid, regardless of what the parents say? If all you're doing is talking about parental rights, then what you're trying, what you're implying is that, uh, yeah, well, if the parents are okay with it, then go ahead. So this is what the moderators do. And, uh, uh, so it was just DeSantis wins, Fox loses, and the American people, for the most part, don't care because these debates, um, the way they're run, are pointless, uh, which also makes it hard for anyone to actually win because they don't really get a chance. Like, there's not really an opportunity to have a real moment or to do anything interesting or say anything important because we see what happens. You try to say something important and you get cut off. But time's up. That's it. Let's up. move on. Next person. Um, all right. One other thing, staying on politics for a moment, um, Ron DeSantis recently accepted a debate challenge from Gavin Newsom. DeSantis and Newsom are going to debate. Uh, DeSantis obviously running for president. Newsom is not yet openly running for president. And I've heard different points of view on the DeSantis strategy here of accepting the debate challenge. Some people say it's smart of him to do it because it gives him some press, gives him a chance to face off against a prominent leftist. Um, it also, it, it comes across like he's sort of, uh, in, in general election mode, you know, it's kind of like this in a way, this kind of presidential type debate. Um, and there's that view. Others have said it's not a good idea because the whole thing is a trap. And, 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 and the people that have said that have had a point because one thing you have to realize about Gavin Newsom is that the guy is a scheming snake, but he's not an idiot. 
And I think the right tends to underestimate this guy, just like the right does this with, you know, anytime on the right, this is what we, this is what we kind of lapse into, where if we don't like someone, then we just want, we want every insult to apply to that person. And so we'll say, it's like, if we don't like a, uh, an actor, you know, if there's an actor, it's like, we don't like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio because he's a, you know, he's a climate change alarmist going around on private jets and all that. And he's a hypocrite. And then you'll hear people on the right say, hey, he's a terrible actor anyway. He's horrible. No, he's a great actor. He's one of the greatest actors of all time. He's obviously a phenomenal actor, but he's also a hypocrite. Um, and just like there are Democrat leftist politicians who are who are horrible, they're wrong about everything, but they're not all idiots. Some of them are quite smart. Um, they're not all like Trudeau. Okay, Trudeau is a is a is is a is a, a bumbling doofus. They're not all like that. And Newsom is smarter than that. Newsom is really Newsom is Hillary Clinton if Hillary Clinton had charisma. So imagine how much more dangerous Hillary Clinton would have been if she actually came across like a human being and could speak and could, you know, go back and forth with someone and had a little bit of charisma. She would have been much more dangerous. Um, because she had the scheming part down behind the scenes. She didn't have any of the charisma, and that was her undoing. But Newsom has that, which, which means that this sort of thing was always going to be a trap. And yesterday, he sprung the trap. And uh, here's what that looked like. This week, we learned that it's going to happen, a debate between you and Ron DeSantis, November 30th, Fox News Channel, Sean Hannity yeah. in Georgia without a crowd, yeah. uh, just the two of you. Why are you doing that? And what is your strategy? Well, I, it's, I don't know if that's the right question. Why is he doing it is the right question. He's running, I think. I'm not sure after tonight, but currently he's running for president of the United States. Uh, do you think he's still going to be? A, do you think he'll still be a candidate on November 30th? That's an open-ended question. Part of me wonders if, he, you know, uh, the fact that he took this debate, the fact that he took the bait in relation to this debate, shows that he's completely unqualified to be president of the United States. That's my humble first. Why is that? You're baiting him with the debate? Of course. I mean, why is he debating a guy who's not even running for president when he's running for president? He's showing up at the Reagan Library, hollowed ground, and he puts out an ad today, not for his presidential campaign, to promote a debate against the governor of California? I mean, this guy's distracted. So I don't know that he has it in his heart. I think, here's my personal opinion about Ron DeSantis, he regrets running for president. Mm. He made a huge mistake. He listened to his consultants. He bought his own hype. He had this little God, God complex. I mean, look at the ads themselves. Literally, God created. I mean, he bought into all this stuff. And he quickly regretted it, but he stuck. And here's the problem. He had one chance of first impression. He's belly flopped. He's down 30 plus points from where he started. So it's a, it's a terrible situation for him. Okay, so this is the game. Uh, you know, the narrative that DeSantis's opponents want to uh, want to get across about him is that he's flailing and he doesn't know what he's doing, and also he's distracted and not paying attention uh, to his his real job as governor. And so, Gavin Newsom comes along and challenges him to a debate, and then when he accepts it, Newsom turns around and says, "See, he's flailing and he's distracted." Um, it's a devious, deceitful rather disgraceful tactic, but it's potentially effective. Um, and when you have someone who's devious, deceitful, and disgraceful, but also smart, uh, that makes them dangerous politically. And that's what makes Newsom dangerous. You know, most politicians aren't going to do that. What, he, what you just saw there, most that's 
that that doesn't happen very often. You're not going to hear a politician. I don't think I've ever heard that before. A politician challenge another one to a debate, and then before the debate happens, say, "Yeah, I baited him, and he's a moron for taking the bait. What an what an idiot!" Like that that that's most aren't going to say that, and that's what gives Newsom an advantage. And, and here's the other problem for DeSantis is that Newsom has a, has a lot less to lose. He's not running for president. And, and I know, and I just said the other day that I, that I think there's a very good chance he'll end up being the nominee when they push Biden out, but he's not running right now. And even if he is the nominee, he's still not going to be running. Like he's not going to run. There's no primary. There's not going to be a primary race on the Democrat side. It's not going to happen. So either it's going to be Biden or they're, or they're going to push Biden aside and they're going to, and there's going to be a coronation for some other guy. And uh, so it, one way or another, Newsom is not running in a primary campaign. He's not running right now, which gives him which gives him right now a lot less to lose because he's not in the middle of a political campaign. And you are. So you're squaring off against a smart guy, a scheming, devious guy, uh, an unethical guy with, with less to lose. And to make matters worse, more people will be on his side than yours. And that's because, of course, the entire left wing, you know, the entire left is going to be on Newsom's side. They're cheering for him. And they're going to be incentivized to, when this debate happens, uh, you know, a small number of people will watch the debate. Many more millions of people will see the clips. And, and so the left can be very incentivized to find the clips where Newsom comes off the best and, and spread those around. And, of course, get, uh, uh, DeSantis' moments, good moments, they're not going to spread. But then the problem is that on the right, because you're doing this debate in the middle of a Republican primary— the right is fractured, and they're not all on your side. Every Trump fan is going to be wants you to lose the debate because it's going to hurt you, and they want you out of the race. So between the left and the Trump fans, you have you have what remains on on your side for this debate, which is a minority, and this is bad optics because that means that people are going to watch this debate and make sure that every good newsome moment is amplified while your moments are downplayed. Um. It shouldn't be that way, but it is. It's just the political reality. And you have to operate within the political reality rather than ignoring it. And already I'm seeing a lot of, you know, DeSantis supporters online that were reacting to this clip from Newsom and, and trying to pretend that it didn't just land a blow on DeSantis, but it did. Like you can pretend it didn't, but it did. And this is the problem with the DeSantis campaign since the beginning is that you've got a lot of people who refuse to acknowledge the reality. Okay, it's like you're, you're, you, if you want to have a successful campaign, you have to understand political realities and operate within them. That's what you have to do. And so if you're a DeSantis supporter, all you ever do is say, oh, this is great. Everything's great. Everything's fantastic. Everything is brilliant. It's brilliant. Everything's going well. You're not helping. What, what, what DeSantis, as I've been saying forever, what DeSantis should be doing is, yes, going, squaring off against the, the, the left is great. But the media is who you should be going after. We saw that in the debate. It was a good moment. It's the best moment of the debate. Proves my point, I think. You, you should be sitting down for interviews with news anchors and, and, and going up against them. Like trying to embarrass and humiliate them and discredit their whole organization. Okay, you, like an interview where you're sitting across from an anchor, an MSC, NBC or CNN or whatever. They'll all sit down with you. They want the ratings. They know it's good ratings. So sit down and just try to leave them a babbling mess, totally embarrassed. That's what you should be doing. Uh, that, that, you know, rather than 
something like this against the guy who, who <laughs> has no ethical standards whatsoever and nothing really to lose and, um, and is, a, is, a, is a relatively skilled debater. Okay, let's get to Was Walsh Wrong? You know, this year has been unbelievably busy for me so far, but that doesn't mean I've neglected my responsibility of stocking my swag shack over at dailywire.com shop. I'm out here blood, pouring blood, sweat, and tears into secret projects like Dancing with the Stars. You probably didn't even know that we sell candles now. Candles are not one of the special projects, to be clear, but don't let that stop you from getting the What is a Candle candle. With a sweet and refreshing smell, it's exactly what one would imagine a candle probably smells like, and that's the best thing I can say about this product. It's a candle that smells like a candle. And there's that and so much more in my collection. So head on over to dailywire.com slash shop. Uh, first comment says, there's a debate tonight. Not interested in that. You should be making the case for RD and so should the DW. You know a criminal will be a disaster for the GOP. This, that is more important than a random discussion on single mothers. I always love comments like this telling me, you're talking about this, but here's what you should be talking about. Okay, let me uh, tell you what. Give me, uh, send me along your your phone number so I can text you. I'll, I'll uh, whoever you are, random commenter. Every morning when I'm deciding what's going to be on the show, I'll text you and make sure it's okay with you. I'll get the clearance from you. Is that what you want? It probably is what you want. It, you know, it really is like it is. It is exactly like me walking into a pizza place and and saying, "You guys sell pizza here? You should be selling Chinese. You should be selling Chinese food here." Hey, as I'd like a General So's uh, chicken, please. Well, we only sell pizza. Well, you should have General So's chicken. That's what you should be doing. What do you mean should be? What the hell are you talking about? If you want chicken, uh, if you want Chinese food, go to a Chinese food place. That's just not what we happen to be doing. And on this podcast, uh, we do talk about politics. I just talked about it quite, quite extensively, but it's not primarily a political podcast. It's a cultural podcast. That's just what the podcast is. You can tell me it should be something else. That doesn't mean anything to me. So, you want a political podcast, if that's what you primarily want to hear about, go listen to someone who primarily talks about politics. That's not me, okay? That's just it. Um, and also, by the way, you're wrong that, uh, you know, the, the, the um, proliferation of single mothers, you know, an issue like that, in fact, is way more important than politics, okay? Like, the fact that we're giving up on the nuclear family is a more important and significant event in our society than even a presidential election, believe it or not. The real Brandon says, Matt, I agree with most of your takes, but you're wrong about The Office. I agree that they shouldn't remake it, but it was a great show. They pushed the boundaries and made fun of cultural mores. It also promoted family and marriage. Uh, I don't think you disagree. I think I said I, I love The Office. It's one of my favorite shows. It's just that when I talk about The Office, for me, the last five and a half seasons don't exist. Because at, like, at that point... We could go on. This could be a long conversation that would be very boring to most people. But in my, we could get into exact episodes here. And and I have always said, uh, the I think it was in season four, midway through season four, was the dinner party episode. At uh, you know, Michael Michael Jan had a dinner party. That should have been the end of the whole series. That should have been the the series finale. And as far as I, and that was also maybe that was that was the best episode of the entire series in my view. Uh, it's when all the good things about that show all kind of came together to create this just cringy, hilarious uh, madness. And that should have been the series finale. So in my mind, and everything was downhill from there. Just just one after every episode is worse than the last. And by the last season, it was just absolutely awful. Everything good about the show is gone. So 
Uh, but I do love The Office. I just don't count. I don't count those other seasons. I don't think that they exist. Um, let's see. And finally, OJ says, love how Matt assumes non-white people are underqualified. He's a blatant racist. Uh, it's, of course, obviously, to anyone with an IQ above, uh, say, 70, 72 or 73 would understand this. So I know that that rules you out. But um, it's not, you know, when, we, when I uh, remark on the uh, insanity of the S&P 100 corporations, the top corporations in America in the year 2021, according to a Bloomberg report, hiring, uh, what was it, 94% people of color? You know, when I remark on the insanity of that and say that that means that they're hiring a lot of underqualified people, it's not because a person of color is automatically underqualified. It's because um, there's just no mathematical way that um, that 94% of the most qualified people came from that minority of the population. 70% of the population, whatever, 60 to 70% of the population is white. Only 6% were hired in the top corporations. There's just no mathematical way that only 6% of that 60 to 70% were, were, uh, you know, were qualified enough for the job. So when you have a disparity like that, it's like it's, it goes beyond disparity. It's just so wildly out of balance. Clearly indicates that uh, they are making these hiring decisions based on something other than skill. You know, everyone is talking about convicting a murderer. There are already so many people from around the country commenting about how they've changed their minds about Stephen Avery after watching Convicting a Murder. It's amazing what happens when you give people all the information instead of cherry-picking the facts to fit a narrative. This week's episode is all about how making a murderer left so many viewers convinced that the Manitowoc police orchestrated a plot to frame Stephen Avery for the murder of Teresa Halbach by planting the key to Halbach's car inside Avery's trailer. Candace is going to show you what actually happened in this week's episode. Take a look. Coming up on Convicting a Murderer. The key was the biggest piece of evidence that viewers to this day believe was planted. It was a story that was really tailor-made for Hollywood. He was on TV constantly saying, it's Manitowoc County, they're framing me. It's gotta be a setup, because if I didn't do it, they had a plan to stop. It seemed like almost everyone believes these filmmakers. What do we want? Justice! What are we wanting now? His body language comes across as very suspicious. It looked like he was caught. And that is exactly what the filmmakers led you to believe. Why are you editing my courtroom testimony? You should be still faithful to the facts. I started to realize more and more that this was an entertainment piece. This wasn't a piece of journalism like I thought it was going to be. New episodes of Convicting a Murderer are released every Thursday exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. If you're not a member, head over to dailywire.com slash subscribe to sign up for access to this groundbreaking series and the rest of Daily Wire's content. Now, let's get to our daily cancellation. So early last year, there was a major crisis in the town of New Prague, Minnesota. It all started in the gymnasium at New Prague High School, where the New Prague girls basketball team was facing off against a school called Robins, Robbinsdale Cooper. And it seemed to be, you know, just a normal girls basketball game. The final score, presumably something like 12 to 7 or in that range. But something more serious had occurred, allegedly, during this game. Shortly after the game ended, reports began to circulate that the fans in the stands at New Prague 
had subjected the visiting athletes to racist slurs and taunts. Strange reports began to circulate on social media alleging that monkey noises could be heard from the stands and that at a certain point, fans actually started shouting the word monkey at uh, the black athletes on the opposing team. The superintendent of uh, Robbinsdale Area Schools put all these allegations in writing in a formal letter and declared that no Robbinsdale teams would be playing any games in New Prague for the foreseeable future because of all the racism. Now, immediately on first blush, um, those who are not abject morons might find reason to be skeptical of this story. And the first reason is that it simply, uh, that, that things like this simply don't happen in real life. So that's the first reason, you know, it, it is just when someone tells you something and then you think, well, that doesn't even happen. That's a thing that doesn't, ha- just doesn't happen. So I'm pretty sure it didn't happen here. When was the last time you ever heard a crowd of white people shouting racist taunts at a black person? When was the last time you ever heard that? You ever encountered that in your life? I mean, your answer is almost certainly never. I have never encountered anything like that ever. You've never seen anything like that ever in your entire life. And, and nobody in modern America has because it just doesn't happen. And it's also a curious claim because if New Prague fans were that racist, if they were so unbelievably bigoted against blacks that they would engage in behavior like that, then you would think that similar incidents would happen at every basketball game and every football game, every sporting match of any kind, given that all of them will inevitably involve black athletes. Like, why would the crowd just suddenly become racist against Robbinsdale Cooper girls when they have undoubtedly encountered many black athletes in the past? And finally, of course, if this really happened in the year 2022, when everybody carried a camera around in their pocket, then there would be video of it, okay? If there are people at a basketball game, like whole crowds of people making monkey noises at black athletes, you are going to see that on video everywhere. You, wouldn't, you don't even have to look for it. It's going to be right in front of your face. It would be inescapable. We wouldn't need to read about the claims in a letter from the superintendent. We would see and hear it for ourselves in social media videos that would go massively, historically viral. But no such videos existed because the whole thing was bogus. Still, New Prague investigated the claims for a month. And finally, in late March, the superintendent at the time, Tim uh, Ditburner, revealed the results of their weeks-long investigation that uh, should have taken about seven minutes. And it turns out that they couldn't substantiate any of the racism claims. And they reviewed all the video, all the audio. They heard no monkey sounds, no racial slurs. They interviewed players, interviewed coaches, officials, fans. Nobody had heard anything like that. As for the claim that someone yelled monkey at a black player as she was shooting a free throw, the investigation revealed that the word that was actually shouted was Nike, which is the name of a play that the new Prague coach wanted the girls to run after the free throw. So the whole controversy was over nothing. It was all a hoax because it, it was, of course, was, was always destined to be a hoax. So did Superintendent Ditburner condemn those guilty of the hoax? Did he call out the people, including the superintendent of the other school district, for defaming his students and their families? Did he show any righteous anger towards those who propagated this lie? Of course not. Instead, he condemned the derogatory comments and racial slurs that nobody ever said, and he declared that even though this didn't happen, it doesn't, quote, negate the lived experience of the people who claim that it did happen. He then laid out a three-point plan for making his district less racist, even though it's not racist to begin with. And uh, one of the items on that three-point plan may be helpful in explaining the next part of this story. So his, his step two was this. 
quote, providing professional development and resources to staff to implement best practices to eliminate harmful behavior. Well, we may now know what, what sort of resources were provided. According to Alpha News, which is a local news organization in Minnesota, New Prague school staff were recently shown a video about microaggressions. And we'll play that video for you in a moment so that you can see how absurdly over-the-top racist it is. Racist, of course, against white people. The whole theme of the video is that white people are blood-sucking, disease-infested mosquitoes. That's not my interpretation. That's what the video says. Before we watch the video, here's what super, uh, the current superintendent, Andrew Volmuth, said about his decision to show it to staff. Quote, the new Prague Area Schools is dedicated to creating a culture where all students have an equal and inclusive opportunity to thrive academically, socially, and emotionally, Superintendent Volmuth told Alpha News. As a school system, we will honor the uniqueness of each individual and embrace diverse backgrounds, values, and viewpoints that will build an empowered school community while acknowledging our differences as strengths. Volmuth explained that the videos were part of, a, of staff professional development to proactively address the needs of our increasingly diverse community. Quote, Microaggression and bias were topics embedded in this professional development, he said. Yes, microaggressions. We wouldn't want to commit microaggressions against black people, so instead we'll compare the entire white race to plague-infested insects. The only way to stop microaggressions is with much more explicit aggressions against the other group of people, it turns out. So here's the video. Mosquito bites and their itch are one of nature's most annoying features. But if you're only bitten every once in a while... No, where are you really from? Uh, Cleveland? Sure, it's annoying, but it's not that big a deal. The problem is that some people get bitten by mosquitoes a lot more than other people. I mean, a lot more. Whether it's on a date... Oh, your English is so good. Excuse me? Going grocery shopping. You know, everything happens for a reason. I'm just buying apples. Commuting to work. So when are you gonna have a baby? Watching TV. We have to keep the Redskins name. It's part of our culture and history. Or just walking down the street with your partner. <gasps> I couldn't even tell you were gay. <sighs> mosquitoes seem to pop up everywhere. Do you know John? Give me shopping advice. So bad I love Cher too. And getting bit by mosquitoes every day. Can I? Cut your hair multiple times a day. It's annoying. That makes you want to go ballistic on those mosquitoes, which seems like a huge overreaction to people who only get bit every once in a while. It's just a mosquito bite. Who cares? Just another angry black woman. Of course, beyond just being annoying, some mosquitoes carry truly threatening diseases that can mess up your life for years. Astrophysics? Hmm. Maybe you should try less challenging, Major. Ow. Dreams. And other mosquitoes carry strains that can even kill you. It looked like he was up to trouble, okay? I felt threatened. So next time you think someone's overreacting, just remember, some people experience mosquito bites all the time. You're all so exotic, wow. And by mosquito bites, we mean microaggressions. Okay, so not only are white people nothing but irritating, filthy bugs, but also black people are perfectly justified in lashing out violently against them. This is the message. Never mind the fact that nearly every microaggression, aggressive scenario in that video is ridiculously contrived and not at all reflective of anyone's actual everyday reality. Okay, and yes, I can say that. And as a, you're a white people telling, you as a white man are telling people of color they don't experience these things. Uh, yes. That's what I'm telling you. You don't really experience most of those things. White people are white people are not swarming around black women as they walk down the street trying to touch their hair, okay? No white person is walking up to a group of non-whites and telling them that they, that they look so exotic. And almost no one on TV recently has even attempted 
to defend the Redskins name. I mean, I'll defend it, proudly so, but I'm certainly in the minority on that. And by far most outlandish of all is they show what appears to be an Asian person being told that he should choose a less challenging major instead of science. Yes, because we've all heard that vicious stereotype about Asians being bad at science. You know, we hear that all the time. You might as well have a, a scene where a tall black guy is discouraged from joining the basketball team. This is the kind of fantasy world that the left wants us all to pretend we live in. Now, that said, a few of the scenarios in that video are vaguely reminiscent of reality. You know, someone who looks foreign maybe maybe asked where they're where they come from. Um, they may even be complimented on their English. And, and these are polite comments made by someone who is trying to show an interest in you. And you can choose to take them in the spirit that they were intended, or you can choose to see them as microaggressions. And if you choose the latter, that's your fault. Okay, microaggressions are, when they're not totally invented and fantastical, they are nothing more than personal hangups. They are just a very modern, very annoying way of saying pet peeve. And we all have pet peeves, okay? I have a million of them. We all have things that we find more personally irritating than it should be. Or, or like we all have things where someone does something and it's not intended in a bad way and it's basically innocuous, but for whatever reason, it drives us crazy. But the thing about a pet peeve is that it's your pet, okay? It's your problem. Just like your actual pet is your problem. Not my, I don't want your pet uh, taking a dump on my lawn, bring it over on your lawn. Your pet peeve is the same way. Don't bring your pet peeve around me. It's not my issue. It's your pet peeve. It's not my job to navigate around your pet peeve. It's your job to deal with it and keep it to yourself. Okay, I don't have to stop doing the innocuous, innocent thing that you happen to find annoying. The problem is on your end. You shouldn't find it annoying. When someone notices that, uh, that, you, uh, that you probably have uh, family members, at least, who are from a different country, and they ask you, oh, where are you from? You shouldn't find that annoying. If you do, it's your problem. That's your fault. You have to stop dwelling on it and, and stop dwelling on how annoying you find it. Or you could keep dwelling, and that's your choice, but it's not going to be my problem. Overall, the whole point of this video and of the entire anti-racist DEI program is to tell a story. And in this story, racial minorities are constantly being harassed and harangued and accosted and insulted and blamed and scapegoated. They walk around exhausted, emotionally drained, on the verge of a breakdown all the time because of the nonstop negativity aimed in their direction. They are devalued, de demonized, demeaned. That's the story. It's not a true story. It's not even based on a true story. It's a work of absolute fiction. But the hope is that these racial minorities will come to believe the story. They'll come to see themselves as perpetual victims. They'll come to see even normal, everyday interactions as sources of victimhood. And then, as a result, they'll become resentful and suspicious. And this is, this is what the people pushing this narrative want. They want resentment and suspicion on one end, and they want self-loathing and guilt on the other end. Of course, in reality, the story being told about what it's like to live in modern America as a minority is much more accurately applied to white people. Because if you're white, then you really are demonized and insulted and blamed and scapegoated constantly. You are harassed so often and to such an extent that you might even find yourself at work in a diversity seminar being told that you are a blood-sucking insect who deserves to be burned to death. That kind of messaging only goes one way in our culture. And history shows where that messaging ultimately leads. Only to one place. And it's a very bad place. And that is why the entire New Prague school district is today canceled. And that will do it for the show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed.